This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff, a show about people and movements and such that I think are cool. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. And with me today is my guest, Ren Arai, a writer whose work kind of got me excited about the ways that we can write history. So I'm excited to have them on the podcast. Ren, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm, um, my dog is running around outside and hopefully we'll stay doing so for the next while. Nice. Uh, so Ren, you have a, a book coming out that is about, what is it about? What's your book? What's happening? So it's actually an anthology that I edited, um, and it's called Nourishing Resistance, Stories of Food, Protest, and Mutual Aid. Um, and it's out. It's going to be out from PM Press sometime next um, early winter or spring. They're still kind of figuring that out. Um, and it's a collection of about 21 pieces that talk about the relationship between food and food culture and um, street pr- protests, street movements, mutual aid, history, all that sorts of stuff. Which awesome. is why I have you on to talk about something that has nothing to do about <laughs> But I thought that the topic of your book would be interesting to people who listen to this podcast. So Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have Sophie on the call, who is our, our mean overlord. How are you doing today, Sophie? I uh, feel an extra mean today, Margaret. Ready to do some Aww. overlording. Oh. And Ian does our editing and Unwoman wrote our theme music. Yeah, you better say that. I'm just overlording. Was I mean? You were so distracted because I was mean. It threw you off so much. That was I know. hilarious. I know. That was so funny. I was mean and Margaret couldn't handle it. Okay, so today we are not talking about food. I mean, I guess we'll probably talk about food a little bit, but it's not the main topic. And instead, I thought I would pigeonhole you to talk about some Irish shit instead. Um, so today we are talking about a guy who, okay, here are some of the things that I've heard him called. Ireland's first gay icon, the man who brought down King Leopold, the world's most important humanitarian, at least while he was alive. He was this colonialist turned anti-colonialist. He's one of the martyrs of Ireland. He was hanged for treason for the Easter Rising of 1916. And, uh, okay, so author Rebecca Solnit once said, quote, 
Most of his biographers have openly disliked him in a way that is almost unique in the genre. A lot of people who wrote about him wrote about him kind of like hate wrote about him because he's a traitor to England and he's not the same as the other Easter Rising rebels and or he likes having sex with men. Yeah, all uh, good reasons to hate write about someone. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. It's funny because um, I don't know if this will make it into the podcast, but I interview people kind of a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I'm used to listening to people and like smiling and nodding and trying not to say anything. So Mm -hmm. this is going to be a really good challenge of like actually responding to what you're saying. Ah, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm used to being like, oh, yes, not smile, nod, (laughs) like get the person to keep talking about whatever they're talking about. So. Yes, no, you should interrupt me instead of okay. just letting me okay. keep talking. <laughs> I'm going to um, work on that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So today we are talking about Sir Roger Casement. Um, and I'm not going to be on the list of biographers who dislike him. Ren, have you, have you heard of, of Sir Roger Casement before? Only the name. Okay, cool. Well, you're going to learn a lot about him. Uh, cool. Including some of his sexual preferences. Sounds uh, great. Great. <laughs> so, Roger David Casement, he was uh, Roddy to his, to his family, was born on September 1st, 1864, outside of Dublin, to a Protestant family in, I guess what gets called genteel poverty. I don't really know how this relates to regular poverty, but they have like a good name and they think really highly of themselves, but they don't actually have any money or property because they're, okay. you know, I don't understand England. They have like the status, but conquered. not the economic clout or something yeah that's the best i can tell like okay so um his his grandfather had briefly been really rich he was a shipping merchant uh and then he went bankrupt and then like died in australia on one of his trips and his father his father's kind of interesting his father also roger casement which is probably why he got called roddy was a soldier who had resigned from soldiering in order to fight in 1848 when like all of europe decided to have different various types of revolutions. Okay. So he he volunteered to help Hungary free itself from Austria. I cannot find any reasoning. Like, no one's like, oh, yeah, this is why this random Irishman, like, went and joined Hungary. But he did. And he was really big into democracy and not kings, which was a big part of the 1848 thing, was mm-hmm. people preferring not kings. He was also into not holding down a job. And his family moved around constantly to England, to France, to Italy, but not like as like rich people bumming around, but like literally just as like dad was trying to find jobs. Totally. Took different jobs, different places. He went off. He kept trying to go off and join various revolutions. This is dad still we're talking about. Okay. Elder Roger. He wanted to go off. Yeah. Yeah. Which is probably what everyone called him. (laughs) Uh, So. He wanted to go off and join various revolutions, but his wife basically is like, you can't actually do that. Uh, You need a job. You need to, what you need to do is get a job and pay for your kids. And he's like, but what if I go join the French as they fight against the Prussians or whatever? And his wife's like, you probably shouldn't. And then he's like, okay, but what if I join an Irish rebellion? And she's like, once again, it's not. I I don't (laughs) actually think that's what you should do. So that's dad. He was a very mixed message kind of dad he Mm -hmm. used to chase the kids around the house with a rod in order to beat Mm. them with the rod oh not Uh, good yeah which is the style at the time but Mm. also not great he also taught his kids to be kind to animals and how to splint up the broken wings of birds okay 
So yeah, very both and here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I I have a feeling that this is a a major impact. I try not to like always just read into the people I'm writing about being like they're basically just what their parents made them to be, but well, you'll see. Okay, mom was Catholic, sort of. She was probably a convert. And supposedly, she snuck the kids off and had them secretly baptized when they were kids. It is completely possible that this is part of the myth-making of Roger Casement because Irish heroes aren't supposed to be Protestant. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were raised somewhere between Protestant and not very religious. They saw themselves as Protestant. Dad, for a while, got into spiritualism, which uh, everyone should go and listen to Jamie Loftus's podcast, Ghost Church, to learn about spiritualism. It's a very good podcast. Yeah, cool. I, I was also recommend it. it. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I mean, there's no other history podcast. This is the only history podcast. <laughs> uh, Ghost Church is only about contemporary matters. No, it's a really good history podcast. Okay. So Roddy, as his family calls him, is the youngest of four. This is the 19th century, so his parents don't last very long. Sources argue exactly about when everyone died, but probably his mom died when Roger was nine of liver failure, probably, uh, in part because they couldn't afford proper medical care, like her mm-hmm. condition could have been treated. I think that the, one of the things that kind of comes up a lot in this stuff is that people sort of forget that 19th century Ireland was a really fucking poor place, like a place totally. thrown into poverty by colonization. Yeah. So after that, the kids go off and live with dad's family in Northern Ireland, Ulster, and dad does not live with the kids. Dad lives nearby in a hotel. So just kind of further give you the idea of what dad is like. Weird. <laughs> and dad dies four years later. He's laid low by friend of the pod, the killer of basically everyone who isn't killed by states or war, tuberculosis. Oh, yes. So his parents are dead and the kids are living with an aunt. And instead of this going like wicked step family here, uh, he loves his his new family. Um, he becomes a mama's boy, but for his aunt. And his cousins all remember him fondly. And also, this guy's basically a folk hero, so everyone's like, oh yeah, he was great. I loved everything about him. So it's like, I don't know. like It's really hard to tell, right? Yeah. When there's that mythologizing. Yeah. As a kid, he liked to tell stories, especially stories about fairies. He loved reading history and poetry. He sang and played piano and wrote plays and acted. And I honestly cannot believe that people are struggling to believe that he's gay. I just everything about like all of the stories are like he had so many emotions and he loved his sisters. And like, it's just I mean, you could be a heterosexual man and do all of those things. I'm more power to every heterosexual man who does these things. But I can't believe people are surprised. But isn't this like history over and over again? It's like very clear that some historical figure was likely gay or queer in some way and people are like no 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 he was just like married to god or something yeah yeah totally totally yeah. and and then i almost feel bad for the people in history who were just like straight up married to god and we're like yeah no i actually wasn't a lesbian i mean totally. nope, I, nothing against him but I, yeah. <laughs> like i feel like ace in history is also written out you know totally um th- this man is not ace he's a size queen but we'll get to that later so I'm just going to keep dropping these hints just to make everyone really <laughs> excited for when we start talking about the measurements of various people's dicks uh, <laughs> or make people really unexcited. Okay, so he 
he does well in school, but it's this Northern Irish super colonized education. So they doesn't they don't teach him anything about his own country, Ireland. But he's really interested in Irish history. So he learns that by going around and talking to old folks and people who had been alive in the previous century. And um, and he starts writing as a teenager. He starts, starts writing all this like nationalist poetry about Irish resistance to England. And here, I think it's probably worth pointing out for anyone who's listening who's not familiar. When I say nationalist in this context, I don't mean like America were number one. I mean like people who are like, wouldn't it be cool if Ireland wasn't being colonized by England? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Important distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's actually, it's, the whole thing is kind of funny, right? Because Ireland is this land of like nationalists being mostly left wing, not inherently. And then like Republicans being like very actively left wing. Um, and it doesn't map very well to 21st century yeah. U.S. ignorance. But then it also gets weirdly like all over the map at times, right? Like there's there are certain contingents of Irish nationalists and Republicans, while most of them were left wing, mm -hmm. that like do become fascists during World War II and stuff. Yeah. There's no, like totally. all sorts of really weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's like doesn't map at all. Yeah. Yeah. And even even this guy, Caseman, I have not found a like. A, a normal mapping to his politics, like, mm -hmm. or a, a mapping that makes sense in 20, 20th or 21st century. Totally. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. So now he's grown up. He is a handsome lad. Everyone, like, that is kind of one of the, especially because he's on a lot of like gay history podcasts and gay articles and shit. And they're like, okay, we're just going to show you a lot of pictures of this guy because <laughs> he's real, he's, he's nice to look at. Uh, He's six foot three, he has curly black hair, he has gray-blue eyes, and everyone's like really charmed by him all the time. And he gets a job in, as a clerk in England at some shipping company through an uncle who works in shipping. And he's like, I am not fucking doing this. Uh, or rather, he writes his sister and says, I must have an open-air life or I shall die. He's not a not-dramatic guy in his mm -hmm. the way he writes. So he gets himself, and so so he's raised... Right. Like, I mean, he's like on this, like already he's on this Irish nationalist kick a little bit as a kid, but he is raised in the era of like colonizing Africa is where adventure is. And mm, is like mm -hmm. how to prove your life and have an interesting life or whatever. So he's like, hell yeah, I'm going to go colonize Africa. He gets himself onto one of his company's ships and he heads down there and, you know, land of adventure or whatever the fuck. He gets really sick, as most white people do at the time. If they go to Africa, he comes home and then he's like, no, I'm going back. I'm going right back as soon as he's better. In 1884, he's 19 or 20, and he goes off to the Congo, which means I get to talk about one of the worst people in all of history today. Mm -hmm. uh, King fucking Leopold II. Um, Sophia's uh, expressing her lack of interest in uh, Leopold's well-being um, through hand gestures that are impolite. For sure, yeah. I My hypothesis is the second is in his name because it's a reference to second only to Hitler in terms of genocide numbers. Um, that is factually yeah. accurate. Yeah. Um, Sophie doing fact-checking for us. Yes. So let's talk about the Congo and Leopold. Ren, have you heard much about the Congo and Leopold? I've heard a little bit, um, but not as much as I probably should know about it, um, considering yeah. it seems like one of the worst atrocities in history. Yeah. And it's I mean, that is one of the like absolute things about this. Right. Is, and that is so damning to uh, 
especially white educations and like Western educations. It's like, I am reasonably certain I learned about King Leopold as an adult. If he was in my like high school history classes, there was not so much attention to it, paid to it that I like, it stuck with me, you know? Mm -hmm. And he is, I mean, this is like one of the most evil things that's ever happened in history. I will, for anyone who's listening, I'm going to like um, describe some atrocities, but I'm not going to linger, avoid graphic detail, all of that kind of stuff. That's So King Leopold II is a creepy piece of shit guy who was king of Belgium from 1865 to 1909. He got his kingdom from his dad, King Leopold I, um, who was not just the first King Leopold, but was also the first king of Belgium since Belgium only became independent in 1830. And King Leopold... I think the best way to understand him is that he hates music and loves money. Uh, he also is like running around fucking preteen sex workers. Um, his wife, the queen, is terrified of him and spends as much time as possible nowhere near him. But Leopold has a problem. Not these things. Leopold has a problem from his own perspective, which is that he's not an autocrat. Um, and he's really bummed about that. Parliament is doing most of the ruling. And... If only there were somewhere for Leopold to rule autocratically. So let's talk about the Congo. There's this guy. He's another not nice guy. His name is Henry Morton Stanley. Boo. He's an explorer. Explorers are like the rock stars of the era. Only instead of making music and being creeps and doing lots of drugs, explorers shoot their way across Africa and murder everyone in their path and get sick from tropical diseases. Ha ha ha. Not all the explorers are equally murderous. Henry Morton Stanley is one of the most murderous. He sucks. I don't know if he's number one. I, I haven't done a survey of... He's up there. I, I don't know if he's number one either, but he is definitely up there. He's definitely on the on the top yeah. charts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're probably all just really horrible. All the degrees of murderous. Any degree of murderous. It's yeah. true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Once you're killing right. people yes. for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. And I, as I was writing this, I was thinking to myself, I don't want to linger too long in these people. If only there was some sort of podcast that explored the, the bastards oh, yeah. of history. So there's this podcast called Behind the Bastards. It's really good. Uh, they talk about all this shit. No one would listen to that kind of podcast. That sounds nah. depressing. Yeah. It's, it's really bad for your mental health. <laughs> but the host is really nice. Yeah, totally. Very charming. So, okay. In 1876, this is eight years before Caseman heads to Africa, Henry Stanley was off being a fuck in Africa. He and three other white people, along with 200 plus black people, crossed the continent. They took 999 days to do it. I, I have a feeling they were like rushing just to get that to come in across the, the three digit line. And along the way, the three other white people die, which is cool. Um, he almost died, which is almost cool. And more than 100 of the black people who came with them died. And I can't speak to that one way or the other. They all did all kinds of really horrific shit. Everyone they ran across along the way. Uh, what an adventure story. Everyone was very excited about it. He made his living off of going around and telling about how he would um, kidnap people's families and say, I will give you back your children if you give us food. But fortunately for every nobody, uh, <laughs> now they have maps of the Congo River. And this is the first time that Europe realizes that they can access Central Africa from the West Coast instead of the East Coast. 
because the East Coast is dominated by um, Arab influences. And so this is the first time Europe is like, hell yeah, we can rob the shit out of this place without having to go through people who also have firearms. And so Stanley's like, hey, I got this map to treasure, aka exploitable land. He goes to Britain and he's like, hey, develop the Congo River Basin. And Britain is like, oh, that sounds kind of hard. We don't want to do it. So he's like, where will I find some piece of shit who will give me money to develop this region? And lo and behold, he meets King Leopold II, who had been hoping to get into the colonization game. So he's excited. And he's like, hey, Stanley, let's talk. I would like to buy this country that you're selling, which is twice the size of Texas. Uh, it's like, I don't know, I've heard a bunch of different comparisons of the size of territory that's being talked about, but it is like the size of Western Europe. It is a not small chunk of place and it has millions of people living there. Um, I mean, it's empty. So Stanley gets tasked with developing the means to access the river, such as riverboat stops and a road to bypass the worst of the rapids. Because at the very base of the river is a bunch of rapids and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, we can't send a riverboat up. But you'll be happy to know that none of this is colonization. This is philanthropy. Uh, it's not presented as colonization at all. Uh, Interesting perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not even quite like white man's burden, like colonization. They like, it's like straight up at this point. It's like, no, no, no. We're just, um, we're helping. He sets up, Leopold doesn't go in there as Leopold at first. He goes in there with all of these shell companies that are these philanthropic uh, entities and he like fundraises mm -hmm. he doesn't put his own money into this he like goes around and he's like um i'm going to bring them civilization i'm going to bring them free trade which aka means bring the rest of europe free trade so please give me money and mm. i'm going to end the slave trade was his big pitch uh to the rabble to the public opinion um because parts of africa that are under arab influence at this time were heavily involved in, in slave trade and so this part sounds great, right? Ending the slave trade, drive out the slavers. And I am impressed that Leopold managed to make things even worse by several orders of magnitude um, and managed to be wildly racist against both Africans and Middle Eastern folks at, in mm -hmm. the process. So Stanley is down there building roads and ports. He doesn't even know he's working directly for Leopold because these shell companies are all like fucking, I mean, the shell companies. I, I don't think he would have cared. I don't think he had any morals. I'm not sure. I haven't done a ton of research about him. I just know he did absolutely terrible things and I hate him. Mm -mm. Yeah. They go around and they trick all the tribal chiefs into signing away their land. They use the essential kindness of the, the different tribes that they meet against them. Basically, they say, hey, come sign a non-aggression treaty and we can all be friends. And they were like, great. I will sign that non-aggression treaty, which was actually a treaty that's like, henceforth, all your land is my land. Fuck you forever or whatever. But you know who else is trying to steal everything that everyone has? Right? I don't actually know. Uh, the products and services that support this podcast. Ah. That was beautiful, Margaret. Thanks. Here's some <laughs> advertisers. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. 
could just be a me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com And we are back. Okay, and we are talking about all the terrible tricks you can pull to get people to give up things. Like he like, they like make hand buzzers out of a battery and like run wires up to their hand. And so then when they shake people's hands, they like electrocute them very slightly. And so people are like, holy shit, these people are so strong. And their friends are like, yeah, that guy can like rip trees up out of the ground. And there's like no particular reason to disbelieve someone who's just like, Shaking your hand with like, you know, it's. Yeah, that's so creepy. Yeah. 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 It's, so Europe, the rest of Europe sees all this and is like, oh, shit, we better hurry up and steal all the rest of Africa. And you get what's called the scramble for Africa. They all meet up in Berlin, all the different countries, and they come up with some rules for their gentlemanly competition to see who can rob Africa most effectively. Leopold is actually kind of an evil genius. And he's a master of diplomacy. And he gets the country, he gets Congo by playing Portugal and England off of each other. In February 1885, he declares the free state of Congo. Uh, because he and I have different definitions of what. Yeah, I was going to say free. free of what? Yeah. Um, and ironically, you would be like, well, it just means free trade. Oh, no, he's completely lying about the free trade thing. Lying. Too. <laughs> um, yeah, Le- Leopold <laughs> sucks. Like, I can't even emphasize. Yeah. Leopold sucks and we're not even... We're not even into it yet. Oh, yeah. Sucks. Yeah. So this new state needs a ruler. And King Leopold is like, oh, I could be a ruler. And he becomes the private owner of the Congo. It's not under Belgian rule. It's something called personal union. I had never heard of this before. It turns out you can be the king of more than one distinct country without the countries having anything legally to do with each other. So he has two countries now. And the Congo, he gets to rule as an autocrat. Um, and I think he never once steps foot into this country that he rules autocratically. He he owns this place for 23 years and he never fucking sees it with his own eyes. What a good system. Monarchy. 
So, <sighs> Roger Caseman, he's 20 and he wants adventure. And he's down, he heads on down to the Congo to help Stanley out. This is a year before, this is 1884. This is a year before the Free State is founded. And he becomes like a major player, but not in this like, he's not second in command to Stanley or anything like that. He's like, but he's, he's like a manager. I think he's like a mid-level guy most of his career. And I think at this point, he's a true believer in this, uh, the philanthropic side of colonization. Um, he's like, we'll bring the world to them. They'll get to trade. They'll get to be a country. We'll open them up to missionaries and make them all Christian and save their souls. We'll stop slavery. We're the good guys. And he's like, basically, surely the things that I'm down here doing, building roads in the Congo, will win me a place on Margaret Kiljoy's hit podcast series, Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. There's some, it feels like there's some, uh, going back before your uh, joke right there, mm -hmm. it yeah, feels thanks, like there's yeah. some true definition of white saviorism happening. Yeah, with, absolutely. With Roger Caseman at this point. Yeah. So, Yeah. Uh, yeah, and a lot of the other people at kind of his level, I believe, are getting into it for also the wrong reasons. Um, totally. You know, but... Yeah, what uh, they think are the right reasons, but, but aren't. Yeah. 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 So Stanley heads back to Europe. Roger Caseman and a ton of the others stay by, and they work to expand territorial control within the Congo. Um, and, and one of the reasons it's so interesting is because he's, he helps set up the infrastructure for this shit that's going to be happening, right? He's... Uh, building transportation infrastructure. He's building railroads to bypass part of the rivers. He's, he's um, and, you know, he, he's, he's down there setting it all up. Everyone writes at the time that he is the sweetest, most gentle man who got upset at every injustice. Like, they're kind of pointing it out because they're kind of annoyed by him. Everyone was like, oh, he's so great. But it's like kind of this like forced smile. He's mm, so great. Mm -hmm. He doesn't let me get away with all the horrible things. Mm, uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, and apparently he spends the whole time also talking shit on England while he's like down there doing fucking dirty work for colonization. At one point, one observer talks about how oddly gentle he was among the rest of his company, kind of implying almost like this, like, he's very athletic and strong or whatever, right? But he's mm -hmm. like, people are kind of like, what the fuck are you doing down here? After all, this is how weak he is. Uh, when his favorite dog is gutted in front of him by a boar, he cries like a mm. girl. Mm. And just in case uh, you thought I was going to mention dead dogs on this podcast, the dog survives. Amazing. The, Good work, dog. His friends pick up the dog, put his insides back inside of it, stitch it up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that's, a, that's what a, a weakling he is. He's down there. He starts figuring out that something is wrong. And he's like, the whole place is kind of being run as a private enterprise. This is the first stuff he picks up on. We don't know. He doesn't know about the worst stuff yet, right? But he's like, my, why is my salary being paid by Americans, not the, the Belgian government? Um, and why are like, and the locals don't want to work. Why are we making them work? Um, you know, basically he gets this like, hey, guys, you can join the European economy. And they're like, we're good. <laughs> I see no Absolutely, yeah. uh, reason why we would do that. Mm -hmm. He learns a bunch of indigenous languages. He makes friends with locals everywhere he went, or at least so go the biographies. Um, like, I literally, in all of the stuff I read about him, did not find, like, one negative statement from about how he interacted with indigenous folks everywhere he went, but I don't know whether that is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Um, besides, of course, the fact that he helped build the infrastructure. That Okay, anyway. 
he gets fired for being an idealist. Uh, and he starts moving from job to job. And he's basically a private contractor down there. Eventually, he starts working for a local mission. And he gets in trouble because he's actually paying the locals well for food. And they're like, no, 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 you got to pay them as little as you can get away with. And he was like, no, I should pay them as much as we can afford. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, 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 as little as you can get away with. And he's like, as much as we can afford. Uh, and he's like, oh, even the fucking missions down here are just Leopold's private evil thing, which was completely true as we learn later. Well, we all learn right now because I'm about to read the quote, but the world learned a little bit later. Okay. In a speech to the Belgian missions, Leopold said, they know that to kill, to sleep with someone else's wife, to lie and insult is bad. Have courage to admit it. You are not going to teach them what they know already. Your essential role is to facilitate the task of administrators and industrials, which means you will go to interpret the gospel in the way that it will best protect your interests in that part of the world. So he's basically just naming what, um, what the religious role in colonization has always been. Yeah. Which is to just be a tool of, of subjugation and yeah. genocide and, uh, and conquest and all of those really, really terrible things. Yeah. I, yeah. I almost appreciate how honest it is. Almost. And so he hangs out. He's like, he keeps quitting job after job, but he, he keeps not totally leaving because it's the only thing he knows how to do. Um, and around this time, he starts seeing some of the horrors, which means. Now we're going to talk about the horrors of the Congo. Leopold ran the Congo basically as a big place to extract rubber from. Uh, There was other stuff too, like ivory, but mostly rubber. He managed to kill between a third to half of the population of the place in the process of extracting as much rubber as possible over about 20 years. Uh, Somewhere between 8 and 13 million people by most estimates. And the estimates are very hard to come by for reasons that we'll continue to talk about throughout. he essentially enslaved the entire country. Uh, what he did was he demanded the extraction of taxes from the population, but they didn't use currency. Not all of them. Some of them used currency. Uh, mostly, I think, brass rods was the primary currency at the time. But most of them weren't using currency. So everyone could just pay taxes and labor. What a deal. So he set up an elaborate hierarchy to extract the resources while shifting blame around. Um, and it's one of the most brilliantly evil things that's ever been set up in the world. So, okay, here's how it works. Rubber grows in vines and it grows in trees. The Congo is full of the vines. The trees are more from the, in the Amazon. But, uh, and the vines are harder to get rubber out of, but it doesn't matter if you can just murder everyone who doesn't do the hard work, right? So he sets up a system. You've got an army, the Force Publique, and it's run by white people, Belgians, I think exclusively Belgians. Okay. And then you've got the rest of the army, pretty much exclusively African, mostly from uh, many from there in the Congo and many from elsewhere, including um, West Africa. And a lot of these people are also essentially a slave army. Uh, It's a little Mm -hmm. bit complicated, but there's a lot of forced labor going on everywhere. Then you have everyone else. Every village has a rubber quota. Uh, The guys who are running the area, the, the white officers, they get a commission for all the rubber. And so they, and they have zero oversight and all the incentive in the world to do this as dirty as possible and as quick as possible. So they make people work by kidnapping their kids and families. They burn down whole villages. They whip people to death with whips made out of rhino hide. Some of this stuff, they got the idea for it from what they did when they were first setting up, which is the thing that I actually think that Casement must have fucking known about, at least on some level. I can't see anyone acknowledging this one way or the other, but I, I struggle yeah. to see how he didn't, which was that they needed 
first tens of thousands and eventually I think like a million porters to move okay. all of this stuff on these roads because the steamboats only take you so far. Um, and what they would do is that they would kidnap women and children and say, we'll let them go one for one for men who can work as porters. So all this would be bad enough, right? He's enslaved the entire country. That would be up there on the list of worst things that's ever happened. The officers are worried that the soldiers are going to stockpile ammo to murder them, which is a reasonable worry because it is a reasonable thing that the soldiers... For sure, yeah. yeah. And they also didn't want the soldiers hunting and wasting their precious ammo that had to come all the way from Belgium. Mm. So all of the bullets go out on one condition. You only get so many bullets, and for every bullet you fire you have to bring back the right hand of whomever you shot. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, that which, is. Which creates a market for hands. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I didn't. No, 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 sorry. I'm just taking in how, how absolutely horrific this is. Yeah, he, yeah. He's, he's, like, he's like the evilest of the evil. Yeah. So it creates a market for hands. If you shoot an animal because you're hungry, you just go find a living person and cut off their hand. Um. The hands are smoked to preserve them. And then they're just so that they could be counted at like counting houses. And they're basically currency at this point. Yeah. Uh, some soldiers were told they could go home if they hurt, hit certain quotas of hands. So baskets of hands was as much the resource that was extracted from the Congo. And what was interesting is a strange word to use for this. This wasn't legal, even by like the rules of like the very loose rules of colonization, right? And even the ostensible rules of the Congo, but there's no oversight, and that's very intentional. And no one from outside the Congo was going to go up into the Congo to find out what was happening. Almost nobody. And we'll get to some of the people who did that soon. But first, I want to talk about the real histories of this, the heroes of this podcast, more, even more than Caseman. I like Caseman a lot. The real heroes of this history, I struggle to find a lot of information about, so it's going to be a little bit of a shorter section. I want to talk about the resistance to all this from within the Congo itself. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, one kingdom in the Congo. And this is the other thing too, right? There's entire kingdoms. This is not a, uh, whatever. I guess so mad at my own bad education where everything I've yeah. learned about Africa, you know, when I'm like, oh, that, like anyway. Okay. So there's entire kingdoms in the Congo. One of them, uh, Cuba, repels three separate attacks and only fell in 1900. And they repel three separate attacks without guns against people who have Maxim guns, like machine mm -hmm. guns, you know? And there's a, there's a Congolese fight song that I want to quote. We are tired of living under tyranny. We cannot endure our, that our women and children are taken away and dealt with by white savages. We shall make war. We know that we shall die. We want to die. We want to die. So, yeah, it's just, they weren't fucking playing around, you know? Revolts spread across the entire country, uh, which is actually, I mean, one of the things that's so complicated is that they did not conceive of themselves as a country. That was a, a European imposition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a lot of like shared culture and stuff. And I am, I am not an expert in this. I read as much as I could find. But um, so revolts spread across the country. One medicine man, Epkili Kapili, he spreads around a charm called the Tonga Tonga that was supposed to protect his bear from the white man's bullets. But it only worked if you refuse the white man's food and other goods, which is, I mean, it's it's clever, right? Because it it uh, sort of obviously doesn't successfully stop bullets. But what it does is yeah. it, it disinvests people from the system of colonization. Mm -hmm. um, 
And it spreads insurrection because people start refusing to trade because they no longer want the white man's goods. And rebellion spreads because it gives people courage. Um, they burn entire rubber factories and missions to the ground. There's like reports from missionaries that are like, we came home and our whole place was ashes. And I'm like, yeah. oh, no, I feel so bad for you. You survived. That's all you <laughs> could ask for. Yeah. Um, across the whole of the country. This is mostly a little bit later. This is like 1904. But uh, they laid siege to cities. And they did all of this, again, without guns. And the English had the Maxim gun. Um by 1905, that particular rebellion was crushed. And then the other form that resistance took is people fled. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people. Again, I couldn't totally find out. Um, they just moved. Entire villages of tens of thousands of people would mm -hmm. just disappear into the jungle rather than do this work. So, yeah, when the Belgians threaten a village, the entire village will fuck off. And my, my realization after reading... Um, some of the stuff about the resistance was like that, that the Congo wasn't really conquered by Leopold. It was like fucked up by Leopold, but it, it never became this like stable structure that was conquered, you know? Mm -hmm. There was enough resistance happening from within. Yeah. And I don't, you know, again, like, I, I don't know, but okay. And then earlier when I said that uh, no one would go investigate, I'll talk about the people who did investigate. And the first person to go investigate was a black American named George Washington Williams. Um, and he was fucking cool. So I'm going to tell you about him. Cool. I got really excited when I like, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Whenever I'm doing this and I'm like, I read about a bastard and I'm like, uh, there's a reason I run the podcast I run. Because um, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I get to read about Stanley right now. Okay, that's fine. And then I'm like, oh shit, the first fucking guy <laughs> who went there, he's like, George Washington Williams, he was born free in Pennsylvania. When he was 14, he ran away from home. He used a fake name to enlist in the Union Army. Because he's fucking cool. And yeah. then, as soon as the Union wins, um, he goes to Mexico, and he joins the Republicans there fighting against the Emperor of Mexico. Uh, so he's, he's two for two in my book at this point, right? Totally, he's a yeah. His, his, okay, the, the one move, okay, whatever, I'm not trying to sit in judgment, but he comes back to the U.S. in 1867, and he joins the U.S. Army, and he fights in the Indian Wars. Okay, yeah. Which is not as cool. No. He gets shot through the lung for his trouble, which is sort of like, well, I mean, I like you, but you were fighting in the Indian Wars. Um, but he survives. Uh, he becomes a Baptist preacher, a lawyer, and he's the first black person in the Ohio State Legislature. Um, and he wrote the first overall history of Black Americans, which is called The History of the Negro Race in America, 1619 to 1880. Um, and a, in that book, he's one of the first people to use the phrase crimes against humanity in the modern sense. And it seems to me to be very fitting that that phrase comes from the U.S. treatment of Black people. Mm -hmm. So he's this huge anti-slavery guy, right? So he goes to go meet Leopold because... Leopold's also a huge anti-slavery guy. He's fighting this whole war against slavers in Central Africa. And so he's like, hell yeah, I'm going to go down to the Congo and check it out after he meets Leopold. And then he goes down there and then he checks it out. And he's like, oh no. Mm -hmm. Oh no, not this. Yeah. Um, and so he writes his findings up for the world to see. Uh, he frames it as an open letter to Leopold. 
as if the atrocities would be like a surprise. It's like, boy, I bet you didn't know what's going down in your country while you're at ho- you're at home. You know, I think he knew that Leopold mm-hmm. knew. Um, and so he starts the European movement to free the Congo from Leopold. Um, and Leopold puts his PR powers into motion to counter all of this. And it's the 19th century. So in 1891, a year after he gets back from the Congo, George Washington Williams dies in England of fucking tuberculosis. Mm, okay. Like everyone else, unfortunately. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, there's a couple people throughout the story who die kind of mysteriously after, like, fucking with Leopold. Mm-hmm. I don't think... I think he just died of tuberculosis. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Caseman again. <laughs> His life gets boring for a while. Uh, or rather full of adventures that I don't have time for. He He's no longer in the Congo. He was only in the Congo at the very beginning of the Congo. Um, or the Congo Free State, right? Uh, he starts working for the British Consul Service in various countries around Africa, which is basically this weird job where you're like really badly paid and in terrible conditions, but you're a mix of a bureaucrat and an administrator and a spy. Like he gets sent to like a Portuguese colony for a few years to run an office to um, keep track of what the Portuguese are up to, make sure that the British ships get in and out of the colony okay, and that all British citizens and subjects aren't being mistreated by the Portuguese. And he spends most of his time complaining about his ill health, writing poetry, having his poetry rejected by everyone he sends it to. It's probably rejected because it's not particularly good. Um, it's kind of like the almost running joke about this guy. It's just like, yeah. he really, he, he wrote a lot of poetry. It's, it's fine. Um, but also, I actually think one of the things that might have been working against him was how political it was. And like, mm-hmm. he's working for the British Consul Service and he's just writing these poems about how like, any African who trusts England is going to die. England Mm, is terrible. mm -hmm. What's happening? And that's like kind of the essential thing that I sort of like. That's like the mystery of Roger Casement, I think, is this time period where he knows what's wrong, but he also still works for the wrong. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There's still like this very strong complicity in in what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Although it weirdly gives me a certain amount of hope about um, the people who interact with really bad infrastructure today. Mm -hmm. Um, that like might actually, uh, have a little Roger Caseman in them, uh, which could be a sex joke, except he's a bottom. So really it'd be them having a little bit in Roger (laughs) Caseman. That's the funniest (laughs) thing you've ever said. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I win. You do, you do win. You do win. I, a little bit of a tear came out. I laughed so hard. Okay, and so this is the time period that a lot of the biographies argue about, also the most, because mm-hmm. everyone's kind of trying to figure out what the fuck is up with this guy. And some of the Anglo-focused ones, a lot of his biographies come out from like mid twentieth century British people, right? Or like mm-hmm. maybe some Irish people, but loyalists and stuff, you know, yeah. or people who are unsure if they're loyal. Whatever. Anyway. So a lot of them are like, he was a good royal subject until one day his mind was broken by the tropical heat and the like evil air of Africa. Um, Or you have a, he was a good loyal British citizen until he saw the atrocities and finally realized colonialism Mm -hmm. was bad. Or you have the 
the really Irish-focused biographies will all focus on how he was always a true believer in Ireland, always an Irish na- nationalist. It's okay. just a little bit weird he worked for Britain, and he uh, and he wanted to die while charging an English castle in Ireland. Is actually something he said to his friends at various points. Oh, wow. Okay. They were like, how are you going to die? And he's like, I'm going to get hanged by the British. <laughs> um, it seems like maybe his... Uh dreams maybe came true is this a spoiler alert but... i I'm, I'm not gonna tell you one way okay. or the other um, <laughs> ren do you have any good things that you would like this show to be sponsored yeah. by you know i was trying to think about that because i thought this might come up i think that maybe when you go to a community dinner and the food is not like um really mediocre like burned lentils but actually like really delicious exciting food I would like to be sponsored by that in general. So maybe the show would also like to be sponsored by that. Like, it's just such a delight. The concept nothing... of delicious communal food. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I the occasional that. burn lentils, it happens. Mm-hmm. If know, I'm invited fine. and I actually cook, we all have to, a little bit of acceptance for burn lentils. For burn lentils, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's other rolls that are dishes to be washed. Um, yeah. Okay. So That's maybe true. that would. Yeah, I usually good. bring the seltzer. Yeah. There perfect. you go. <laughs> Okay, I like that. Um, we are sponsored by that and only that. And if anything else interrupts <laughs> this podcast, it was entirely a mistake. <laughs> Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from undercover tourists. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from undercover tourists and authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with undercover tourists now and save. UndercoverTourist.com And we are back from talking about all of the delicious meals that we all will share together with no other interruptions. So speaking of back, Roger Casement wants to go back to Ireland. Okay. He, he's like, I don't know whether he's just like done or whether he's just like 
he feels stuck. He kind of can't quit. A little bit, he like, I think literally can't quit. I think he does not have a ton of um, a- autonomy over his own life at this point. Um, and he's constantly like faking sick to get to go home and also being actually sick to get to go home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he like goes home for surgeries and then kind of like takes a little bit longer to recover than anyone wants him to and stuff. And because he, I think he increasingly hates this work he does. And then he also does this thing that I don't have the, time or really I didn't I didn't have the time to really wrap my head around because it's really complicated and he sticks his head into the Boer War war the Boer War in South Africa he shows up on the British side which is basically when British imperialists fought against the Boers who were white colonists who wanted independence and he felt good about siding with the British in this because he had seen how the Boers treat uh, Africans but later he was like actually fuck both sides and he never mm. wore he like won a medal for his service as a spy in the the Boer War and I think he led some shit um and he he never wears the medal and while he's doing all of this uh and his entire fucking life he is just fucking people men just and he's keeping a journal about all of it and he's like fuck these three guys today a little bit tired um and it's very sexual and he keeps in his journal exactly how big everyone's dicks are. He is very excited when he gets to fuck the biggest dicks that he's ever gotten to mm-hmm, fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, he feels completely uncomplicated about paying for sex, which rules. He um, he says paying for sex is no worse than paying for a game game of billiards. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting. Some of the the more gay historians talk about this about how. Uh, he basically only experienced casual sex, it seems like, or we only have evidence of him ex- exploring casual sex because he's a very romantic soul, right? He's okay, like, yeah. Um, and Writing so it, poetry and stuff. Yeah, and like yeah. crying when, I can't believe he cried when his dog almost died. Um, right in front of him, what a, what a wimp. Um, yeah. And so some people have argued that maybe his casual affairs were because he had to keep his homosexuality a secret. A sustained mm-hmm. relationship causes more of a stir, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I don't know. I could go either way. Like, I think a sweet romantic man could also just like fucking around. And also, the reason it's important is it basically makes him a gay James Bond who then later turns on his employers. Mm-hmm. Like, he's sex-crazed, handsome, charming, chivalrous, and speaks a million languages, spy for the British. Um, mm-hmm. But then he fucking goes to war against the British. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert to second half of this. So I don't know. I kind of like this. This is how James Bond should be. Is what I'm saying. Totally. Um, They're going to really have to do a rewrite on that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He also saw homosexuality as a disease, but it was a, a misfortune that was not the person's fault. And it should probably mm-hmm. be cured. But in the meantime, everything's fine. And, you know, I... I can't tell him how he should have felt, you know? Yeah. He also drank and smoked and danced and gambled, but all in very moderation. Like, Mm-mm. a lot of this stuff gets used against him later, but he's like, he tracks all of his gambling winnings and losings. He only drinks in moderation. Mm-hmm. Like, he is the, like, you know, all things in moderation, including moderation. That is this guy. Mm-hmm. And he starts hearing more about what's going on in the Congo. While he's uh, while he's doing this spy shit in other countries, and he doesn't like what he's hearing, 
Uh, there's almost no trade happening in the Congo. Like everywhere else, there's at least some vestiges of of European trade happening, right? But mm-hmm. in the Congo, rubber goes out. Nice stuff does not go back in. Just okay. guns and ammo. In 1893, another explorer, Edward Glaive, who has a cool name, decides to go and check out what's going on in the Congo. Or maybe he's just off exploring. It's hard to tell. I'm not super sure of his motives. He dies mysteriously. While he's off exploring the Congo, he's a, he's a white guy. And the Congo Free State tries to destroy all of his journals. But they, they I mean, they probably killed him, is what I will go ahead and... Yeah. On the record, come at me for sl- slander, libel, whatever. I, I think probably if the Free State of Congo wants to come at me. Um, some of his journals got out, even, even though they destroyed a lot of them. Okay. And his journals are basically... Oh my god! 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 What the fuck is happening here? Um, because it's really bad, and I don't want to linger. I we went over the like system of bad, and I'm I yeah. kind of choosing not to linger on the bad, but it's really fucking bad. So Casement, a good civil servant, starts writing letters to the Free State, being like, "I think something bad is happening, and you should check it out and investigate yourself." Mm-hmm. Um, you will be shocked to know this does not work. So he. He starts writing to England about it. Uh, England, they don't really care about the mutilation and the slavery. They get upset because the Congo isn't allowing free trade. Okay. Um, The Belgians in the Congo start murdering even white people who try to set up shop, which is like, and they're all like, wait, that's illegal. You're not allowed to murder people for setting up a store. You're killing white people. What's going on? All of a sudden now it's a political issue for for. For just the British or the rest of Europe? or At this point, I think it is starting to become more of a thing for everyone. But I think the, I think the first couple people who died were, were English. And then also, uh, Casement very much cares, and he's half able to get Britain to care, that some of its, uh, not its citizens, but its subjects from um, British West Africa are being forced into forced labor, or being enslaved, being sent over there to work as sentries because they can't get enough local people to do the murdering. And theoretically, Britain is supposed to, his job is to make Britain care about what's happening to Mm. British subjects. And so Leopold does what any monarch would do, and he sets up the Commission for the Protection of the Natives. And it's full of Catholics and Protestants, and it tasks them with basically never meeting and never doing anything and being a an a thing in which if anyone complains about anything, they can send it away to this commission to die. Okay. You know, oh, it's terrible that this bad thing happened. We will send it to the Commission for the Protection of the Natives. And then, you know, and the whole time in this PR, he's like, you're right, terrible things are happening because those slavers are still in there. and we got to get them out. Mm-hmm. Give me more money. Yeah. Not all of the missionaries are there for, well... Okay, once again, there's multiple, as we talked about, there's more than one bad reason to be there. There's yeah. the really bad reason, and then there's the also really bad reason, but without mm-hmm. as much emphasis, you know. Some of the missionaries start coming forward, because they're some of the only Europeans who are in central Congo who aren't, like, Belgian corporate people, you know? Mm, okay. And some of them start coming out and being like, hey, this is, there's some, like, not great stuff happening. So, so Leopold, he says, oh, I've heard about these mutilations. It's horrible. It's a practice left over from their savage tribal ways, or maybe it was brought by the, you know, damn Arabs or whatever. And it, it was not. 
uh, Casement mm-hmm. and other people had basically the records to prove that this is a lie. This is this was not a uh, a tribal practice within the area. It was absolutely brought by the fucking Belgians. Um, so Leopold continues to spin his PR, and he send he lets journalists go. Uh, they get mm-hmm. carefully guided tours, and they're all like, "Everything is fine down here." And it's a really good way if you're a journalist to like make your living is uh, take Leopold's money because he will pay you a bunch and he will get your stories in the New York Times and you will be a Whoa, yeah. famous. Yeah. For, for repeating his, the party line, basically. Yep. yep. Yeah. Which totally isn't a thing to think about when we think about journalism today. Absolutely. Anyway, that's actually part of the reason I carry my heart on my sleeve about my biases and stuff so much. Anyone who's listening, part of the reason I do that is so that you can like know my biases because you might not agree with my biases and that's good that's fine um i want to be honest with you about them or with everyone about them so that people can um kind of have a sense of what to filter you know mm-hmm. um i don't know if that's the right end. i'm also not really a journalist i'm a fucking entertainment podcaster but i don't know you've done journalism stuff Ren. you're a journalist margaret oh thanks yeah i i have in the past but not in many years okay so yeah. Okay. So in the meantime, in England, we get another awesome person, uh, a journalist named Edmund Morrill. Uh, Morrell? Morrill? I don't know. Morrill would be a funnier name for him. It, it, it really would. I was going to say, let's go with that. Yeah, we're going with that. It's <laughs> M-O-R-E-L for anyone who's Googling at home. Um, he was raised friend of the pod Quaker. No way. Because uh, <laughs> 50% of the halfway decent white people in history were Quakers is what I've learned by writing this podcast, which is not a bias I came into this podcast with, just to also be clear. Um, they just, they're everywhere. They, they, they may show up again in the second half. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, okay. And so um, he didn't start out as a journalist. He actually started out actually the same way that... Um, Casement did. He was a shipping clerk. But he notices he's a shipping clerk and he's like, rubber comes out, guns and ammo go in. This doesn't seem like a good thing. So he quits his job to become a journalist, uh, specifically on this topic. Uh, He revitalizes a movement started by the late George Washington Williams, the movement to free the Congo, which had kind of basically when it was only George Washington Williams's word. Leopold's PR campaign was sort of kind of effectively quashed the movement. Mm -hmm. But so it is worth noting that once again, like Morrill and Casement are coming in and revitalizing a movement that was started by a black man. And, uh, you know, and again, this is the European movement. The Congolese were also well on their way. They're very active in the Free the Congo movement as well. And he discovers, Morrill discovers that the money is being embezzled directly by Leopold himself. It's not even like going to the companies. Like he like is doing the looking at the money and he's like, wait, two fifths of the money is literally just going directly to Leopold illegally, which is funny because you could do all of this legally. You could be a monster legally, but he he has to go that extra little bit. His free state isn't a state. It's a robbery. So Casement, he leaves. um, He goes back to Europe from Africa and he goes to Brussels to find out more. And Leopold invites him to lunch because he wants to keep Belgium and England buds. Um, this is not how Casement dies because it almost sounds like it would be. 
Leopold is like, oh, I only care about the well-being and good government of the natives. And Casement's like, then why are you forcing everyone to labor? He's like, it's not forced labor. It's just bonus labor in lieu of tax. And Casement's like, why are you cutting off everyone's hands? And Leopold is like, there have been some cases of misconduct, which is unfortunate. And, and this is a, okay, the, the one I'm paraphrasing, but the climate in Africa had a deleterious effect on some of the men. He used the word deleterious. He was like, that crazy Africa just made everyone crazy. He blamed the climate of Africa for his men cutting around, running around, cutting off everyone's hands. Instead of like a colonizing racist yeah. white supremacist system that is empowering these people to go around uh, doing that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So Casement is not convinced. You'll be shocked to know. Uh, and he petitions England to get him upriver in Congo to find out personally. He knows the place well. He helped build it. Um, and it helps his case that British traders keep getting assassinated. And it takes a little while for him to get permission. In the meantime, the movement in England is heating up. In 1903, Morrill writes a book called Affairs of West Africa. Another guy writes a book called Civilization in Congo Land, subtitled A History of International Wrongdoing, which is kind of a cool subtitle. Another one is The Curse of Central Africa, with the curse being the free state. Mm. And then in 1902, during all of this, novelist and not friend of the pod, Joseph Conrad publishes Heart of Darkness, which is a thinly veiled critique of Leopold, which I didn't know when I, I read this book in high school. Conrad and Caseman actually met and were friends back in the day when Conrad was a, a riverboat captain in the Congo. Um, and I'm really not trying to go to bat for that book, but it's it's worth or Conrad. But he wrote it with that we keep talking about these two types of colonial racism, you know? Yeah. Um, he wrote it with the, the don't cut off people's hands version of it, uh, best intentions or whatever. Casement, for his part, he's a public servant and he's not supposed to be working public opinion. But mysteriously, an Irish writer starts writing stuff that just sounds exactly like what Casement would write because Casement is either feeding him information or just ghostwriting for the guy. Mm, mm. And, and I'm going to tell you about one European who tried to cut to the chase. One person who tried to solve this problem directly was a guy named uh, Gennaro Rubino, who is mm. uh, an Italian guy. And he got hired in London to spy on the anarchists because he was, you know, a poor worker or whatever. And they were like, hey, mm-hmm. we'll give you money. Go spy on the anarchists. So he goes and he spies on the anarchists and then becomes an anarchist. The best outcome of spying on anarchists. I know. They're like, oh, there's actually, they're making a lot of sense here. Yeah. But it's not a good way to start your career as an anarchist. He gets outed by his fellow anarchists as a police spy. So he figures, Mm -hmm. I know how I can show my friends that I mean what I say. I'll go kill King Leopold II. And I, I don't think he really thought it through. Like, I think he just bought a revolver and then some postcards with like Leopold and his family's faces on them. So he like had a picture of the person he was trying to shoot. Oh, no. <laughs> you need to be more organized than that. <laughs> this is a yes. Um, yeah. So he goes and he sees the like royal parade of carriages and he shoots at the one that he thinks has Leopold in it. It is not the one with Leopold in it. He kills and injures nobody. He shoots three shots of the revolver. He spends the rest of his life in prison. He still didn't convince the anarchists he was one of them. Everyone was like, no, this plan was so bad that it was clearly an agent provocateur. It was clearly never designed to kill uh, Leopold. It, it was. He was in earnest. 
man. Yeah. Um, he died in prison in 1918. I, I, I wish he had done his homework, is what I would like to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, Caseman. <laughs> Basically, Britain finally is like, all right, we'll send Caseman down there. And so they send to Leopold a letter. They're like, I mean, I don't, I can't do a British accent to save my life. Sorry to bother you, old chap, but can we pop around your Congo for just a spot of investigation? Just a formal report. We're sure it'll exonerate you. And Leopold is like, whoops, I am magically nowhere near where your letter needs to go. Uh, I, so I can't consent because I never got your letter. Um, he just leaves them unread. And English Congress or whatever it's called, Parliament, they, they talk it over and they're like, fine, fuck it. Casement, you can go to the Upper Congo. And in 1903, he sets out. They get a private steamboat to go up the river so they aren't beholden to the Congo authorities. And that's where we're going to leave it today. What's he going to find? That's a real cliffhanger right there. I know. I put that in on purpose as a cliffhanger, yeah. Ren, do you have anything you'd like to plug at the end here? Um, Sure. Well, we already mentioned the um, anthology that I edited. Um, It's called Nourishing Resistance. I know that my editors have asked me to ask you to put a link to it in the show notes, so I will do that later. Um, and I also want to plug BCC Tucson, which is where I am recording this. It's a radical community space, social center, whatever you want to call it, that does a lot of really cool things um, here in Tucson. So, Yay. Yay. Margaret, you, you have a book coming out. I do. It's called We Won't Be Here Tomorrow. Uh, I've already made the we'll be here on Wednesday joke. Yeah, okay, I have. Okay, Uh, it's called We Won't Be Here Tomorrow and it is available for pre-order from AK Press or if you're listening to this in the future, it's available for regular order. And Sophie, uh, what what do you have to plug? I'm not trying to make, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just. What do I want to plug today? I like to, I like to pick, I like to pick a show on our network to plug. I feel like I should plug Behind the Bastards just because we're talking about King Leopold and Robert did such a good job with uh, Andrew T, uh, who who guested on this pod not too long ago, discussing King King Leopold not too long ago. So go check out Behind the Bastards. It is a really good episode. I um, plagiarized some parts of my Leopold good. work from it. Love it. We'll be back. Bye. Wednesday. Bye. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com. Or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. 
Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.